Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, you are listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, where we take a close look at the 2001-2005 series Star Trek Enterprise. My name is Kyle West, and my co-host is Chris Hill. We're your resident Enterprise fanatics, and we look forward to getting into another episode of the show this week. So Chris, how have you been since we last spoke? Been doing alright. Have the same troubled customer I've had for a couple months now, the other day. Always disparaging. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, full-on MAGA, one of those types. He said the only difference between communism, socialism, and the Democrats are the spelling. Oh, wow, he doesn't understand what socialism is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Had I not been at work, I would have retorted with, you know what the only difference is between Trumpism, conservatism, and uh, racism is? The spelling. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're well, man. Um, I am currently nursing... An elbow injury. I don't even know how I did it. I was actually holding a cheese grater at the time. Um, And I've been trying to do a bit more exercise the last couple of days. I just had this, like, my hand around it. And I don't know what happened, but I think the the joint's gone on my uh, my left elbow. And so it's killing me. Um, So I'm an injured man. And then, of course, my daughter wants to be lifted up all the time then. So uh, just to add to my pain. I have some good news for anyone who listens to my... My other shows, well, I say good news, they might not even care, but <laughs> Katie and I, obviously, uh, we, we aren't married. Uh, we have been engaged for a number of years, but we wanted to wait until uh, the children were old enough to take part in the wedding in some way. Yeah, so, well, the initial plan was Harrison to take part, but then, you know, uh, couldn't control ourselves and we had a second kid. <laughs> so that <laughs> delayed it again. And um, we kind of came to the conclusion that we either wanted to get like married abroad or uh, just do something small like a registry office kind of thing at um at city hall because uh, i've i've been married previously so i've done the uh, the big wedding ceremony and i wasn't really keen to do that again and katie's not really into that so uh, yet uh, on a whim yesterday uh, we just booked a date in 3 months time in fact 3 months today as we record this congratulations i have to start calling her katie west on the um, <laughs> the episode credits for uh, the two shows we do together, that's Blast Shield and her first track. For anyone who uh, doesn't uh, doesn't listen to them. And speaking of Blast Shield, you do have merch now. Yes, we do. Uh, so through the Nerd Since '86 Patreon, uh, we are now selling Blast Shield merch. It's the first wave of things, and don't get me wrong, there's not going to be loads. But the first wave is the Star Trek Com Badge Insignia. Uh, which you see on lots of loads of shirts, but we've basically made the insignia out of the episode titles of our season one reviews of Lower Deck. So it's, it's really cool. Mine arrived today, actually. Posted a photo on the social medias. I got the forest green, I think, was the color version. I've made loads of colors available. And I just realized I said I made the merch available via Patreon for Nerdsense86, and I haven't. It's on the website. <laughs> so yeah, you can go to nerdsense86.com 
and there's a link there to the shop selling t-shirts women's t-shirts as well for those who prefer uh, the fit but obviously the the men's slash unisex one is available uh, there's some leggings on there which are fantastic if i was into wearing leggings i would be ordering <laughs> some of them uh, mugs uh, socks in department colors so uh, they've got the um, the red blue and yellow slash gold i guess with the uh, the artwork on it as well so yeah no i'm really excited you know we've actually sold some so uh, i wasn't expecting anything it was just something to accompany the show like you know just to get out there i've wanted to do it for ages actually the thing that gave me the kick up the ass to do it was when you pointed out to me that we've been asked about merch for this show yes and i was like damn i've been meaning to do some merch for my other ones for a while so <laughs> so we haven't got anything for this show yet at the time of <laughs> recording this but blast shield does have something so any money that gets raised from that goes back into the show in various ways facebook adverts gear uh, yeah if you want to support the show you can do it that way but yeah i uh, get married and i katie for a joke at christmas got me some cufflinks star trek ones so i checked yesterday that i knew where they were and i do so i will be rocking up star trek cufflinks at the wedding and thus far katie has said that she wants the star trek picard theme tune okay. to be the music uh, as she enters the room so she is full-on neck deep in trekdom at this <laughs> At this rate, I don't even know why I'm doing her first trek anymore because I seem to have converted her <laughs> straight away. But okay, so that's enough of pushing my wedding. Uh, I'm sure you get more details uh, from me as time goes by. Now I'm probably going to get even more pressure to actually propose to Heather. And... Are you not even proposed, man? No. <laughs> get get the proposal out of the way, and you can wait a while. <laughs> yeah, for for me, part of it's just you know my previous marriage as well, and and you know even though my relationship with Heather's lasted longer than my marriage and. And that relationship did. It's funny how these things uh, play in your mind. I always thought I wouldn't get married again. And I was with my, my ex-wife. We were married for five years together mm. for just under 10 years. Yeah, I was adamant. Well, I wasn't adamant. I was very much inclined to think I wouldn't get married again. Because that's what everyone asks you when you get yeah. a divorce. Uh, you know, are you, oh, would you marry again? And, and it starts coming up when you start to date someone else or whatever. So it did come up with Katie. And one day, I just the big thing for me was that I realized... As much as I thought I shouldn't really bother getting married again and didn't want to do it, I thought, well, Katie never had been married. Yeah. I loved this woman and being married at the time anyway was something that seemed important to her and I wanted her to experience that. And I kind of thought, well, just because I've had a bad experience of a marriage ending, why should that mean that Katie doesn't get to experience a wedding and a marriage? So uh, that was what made me suddenly change my approach completely where I realized yeah. that uh, it was very selfish of me to so so yeah hint to you chris <laughs> take your past experiences are just experiences uh, they're not the written rule and look at it from the other side as well yeah. like i did after waiting years right now that i've stopped trying to push you into getting engaged i'm going to push <laughs> people to please subscribe to the show how is that for a segue subscribe yeah. <laughs> to the show on uh, apple podcasts spotify google podcasts whatever you're using please subscribe uh, you'll get notifications each week when our episodes drop. You can also rate us on your apps uh, if possible. I don't know if all podcast apps do that, but certainly on Apple Podcasts, uh, if you could please rate us. Yeah. We recently got hit with our lowest rating that we've had. Now, bear in mind that we've had loads of ratings on the show, about like mm -hmm. 19 or 20 reviews, I think, on just on Apple uh, Podcasts. 
across the world. Now, they were all five stars except for the infamous two-star review that we had early on where the person (laughs) uh, complained that the show contained spoilers for the death of a certain character at the end of the show. Now, we made it clear in those episodes at the time that this show jumps around from episode to episode and is a spoiler minefield. We made it very Mm -hmm. clear. But the person who, in that same review, said they loved the show and all this stuff, but didn't like the there was a spoiler they didn't know about, gave us a two star, and it, it dragged us down to four point eight overall, and uh, everything else was five stars. Now we got hit with a one star in this past week uh, from <laughs> this is unreal uh, from someone who says the title was misleading. So I was thinking, gosh, what on earth is that about? Misleading about what? And then um, he. Uh, he adds that uh, this has nothing to do with The Expanse, the TV show. And that's about <laughs> it. And I was like, well, okay, we're aware. We've spoken about the name thing before the show. But, you know, just as a heads up to this guy, the name of the show is The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. Mm-hmm. Pretty self-explanatory. The picture doesn't show anything from The Expanse, the TV show. The description of the podcast, presume, I'm, I'm assuming that you know, he came across the podcast and thought, oh, I'll read what that's about. Uh, the description specifies that it is about a Star Trek show. Uh, and yet this person decided to give us a one-star review uh, to um, to point out that we're apparently we're misleading. The funny thing is, well, when you say it's misleading, that, that suggests that we are misleading people with our name because we really, really are so desperate to get people uh, who watch The Expanse to come and listen to our show about something completely different. Um, and we're misleading yeah. them somehow, even though our, we've plastered the show posters and everything with the fact it's Star Trek. So that's my rant over. But please, guys, the, these these two rating, uh, bad reviews we've had, which the content of them, they're not even bad reviews of our show. Uh, it's just people being, yeah. being <laughs> dickish. Uh, it does actually drag our score down. I think it's pulled us down to like a 4.6 or something now, which... Uh, it's hurtful. Now, if they were legit bad reviews, then you know that, that's that's brilliant. We would be able to do something with that information, but we yeah. can't with this. So, uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't reviewed us, please just please just do so uh, on on Apple Podcasts because uh, number one, that's the first review people are going to see. Uh, I think it was an American review. I can't remember. So, if you're on the American yeah, store, American. it's the first um, it's the first review you'll see. So, we need to bump that away. And we need to start pushing that score back up. So please drop us a five-star review if you can. Uh, we know there's hundreds of you listening to this show each and every week. So please just give us a few seconds of your time with a rating on the app. You can follow us on all the social medias at NX01Podcast. That's Patreon, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And don't forget, the Patreon gives you early access to our episodes, discussions that we don't have Uh, on our main social media channels. Uh, If you go for the higher packages, you will uh, then start to get extra podcasts that uh, won't be released to the public and all sorts. So lots of perks in being a Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash NX01 podcast. Wow, there's a lot of talking so far. Yeah. I'm really going for it today. Um, When I'm editing the shows, I really should speak less so there's less for me to to have to edit why do you think i stay so silent when i'm hosting <laughs> that's why i talk more mate just to make your life more difficult so uh, yeah this week 
on uh, the Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, uh, we are talking about Cold Station 12, which was the uh, fifth episode of season four mm-hmm. of Star Trek Enterprise and the second episode of an arc, which I guess fandom has named the Augments arc over time. Yeah. So on the previous episode of the show, we did discuss Borderland, which is the first episode. If you haven't listened to that yet and would like to, you know, uh, follow along with the shows as we are, please just go back and listen to that. That'll be on our feed on your podcast app. Uh, so before we get into it, Chris, uh, people are going to have to listen to me even more. I'm going to go through <laughs> a description of the plot. And uh, this one, I tried to make it short, but there was a bit to get through. So I'm going I'm to give you a rundown of the episode's plot for anyone who uh, hasn't got time to rewatch it or just needs their minds or memories rather refreshed. Following on from part one of the Augment arc, Borderland, Eric soon is now reunited with his so-called children, those dastardly Augments. We see them as children at the start to establish uh, Soong's fatherly relationship with them. That was a flashback. Uh, Soon we're back in the present and Dr. Soong and his kids are planning to grab the rest of the Augment embryos from a place called Cold Station 12, which is a really cool name, by the way. Yeah. Such a badass name. Whilst that's happening, uh, Enterprise goes to the planet where they know Dr. Soong raised the Augments. Whilst there, Archer gets enough information to work out Soong's plan to go to Cold Station 12. They also meet... Now, was it was it Udar or Udar? I think it was Udar. Udar, I think. I, I just know him as Smike. This was a, an Augment who is, in fact, not an Augment. So, basically, um, only has one of the special features of an Augment, which was advanced hearing. So, on their way to Cold Station 12, uh, Archer managed to get uh, Udar on side. Uh, meanwhile, Phlox is worrying about his friend, Dr. Lucas, who works on Cold Station 12. He is right to be worried, as Dr. Lucas uh, is getting beaten up, something rotten, bloodied and bruised. Uh, he's the only person who could have the code to access the augment embryos, uh, but he claims not to know it. This leads to Malik suggesting, uh, you'll all remember Malik, he was that dude with the mullet in the first episode who killed the leader of the augments and took charge himself. But this leads to him suggesting... They harm one of Lucas's colleagues to get Lucas to talk. Dr. Soong is reluctant, but goes along with the plan. The scientist is infected with some grim disease, but uh, Lucas doesn't talk, which pisses Soong off because Soong's getting quite emotional because he doesn't want to be torturing this other guy. Soong calls for the antidote to be given because they're not getting anywhere with Dr. Lucas, but Malik refuses. Soong goes to do it himself, but the hesitation and delay through Malik makes it too late and they now have blood on their hands. The scientist is dead. During all of this, Archer and a team infiltrate the station uh, but get caught shortly after. This leads to Phlox being threatened in front of Lucas who can't bear to see his friend end up like his former colleague. So he gives the code. Dr. Soong now has what he wants. And whilst Soong's off getting the embryos, Archer tries to break free. He takes down one augment, surprisingly easily, but Malik proceeds to then kick his ass he has archer beaten and says that five minutes after they leave the station that's the augments leave the station all the diseases will be released he wonders which one will kill archer first before he leaves malik shoots udar dead the episode ends with dr soon getting away with the augment embryos and archer racing against time to stop the diseases from being released on the station's inhabitants to be continued dun, dun, dun. And that's it. So that's what happens in Cold Station 12. Chris, 
my first thing to you would be, well, you know, what, what were your initial thoughts on this episode, having rewatched it recently? And, you know, how do you feel about it? Definitely tell it was the, the middle story in the arc. But to me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I did really enjoy it, like I do pretty much all of season four. For me, it's always been a toss-up between season three and four. I forget which one I said way back when, when we first started. With this one, we definitely saw more of the, the intrigue and more how they were trying to play into what they could have done with, like, Space Seed if they had drawn it out to a two-parter. And for me, the torture scenes brought back the scenes of Khan trying to get the crew of the Enterprise to surrender with Kirk. How about favorite moments, then? I've written my notes that I'd like to get five favorite moments from you, because I was... I normally wouldn't say that many, but as I was rewatching the episode myself, I was thinking that there's a lot going on in this episode and there's yeah. a lot of big moments. So I thought, well, let's test Chris and see if he can pick out five five individual moments that for him uh, stood out. So let's try it, man. Let's go for it. Try and give me five of your favorite moments. Well, we'll go in kind of an order of the episode as best as I can piece it together. But definitely, I definitely did enjoy kind of seeing Soong teaching the young augments. I mean, kind of kind of humanized everybody really that'd be one sort of the that 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 well for a little further on in the episode sort of the quieter moment when archer's talking with flocks about you know their ability to do genetic mm. modification but not you know go as far as the humans did 30 years ago for for us oh gosh that's made me feel really old <laughs> because i remember when voyages uh, futures end came yeah. out which i which obviously was they were on they were in the nineties, and I'm pretty sure they didn't mention the eugenics yeah, not, wars at all. Not a mention of it. Yeah, uh, which people took for years then to mean that you know we have to just accept that they've had to kind of erase that from track history, which was uh, what what fans were saying online at the time. Uh, that's changed yeah. since, obviously. But uh, you saying that was thirty years ago now? I'm thinking, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> that's made me feel old because in that Voyager episode, it should have really been going on right there and then. So yeah. I remember being a kid during well, that. So um, Greg Cox did sort of a a con mini series with bo- of books, and the way that he's framed it to kind of make future tense future tense seem you know so peaceful as it is that it was all sort of you know proxy wars and behind the scenes political uh, uprisings and stuff. Yeah, which is a believable way to to do it. I think, yeah, and to bleed it into our past. I think at at this point, though, so much stuff has been established about the past in Trek that we're catching up on, uh, that we're going to have to just accept that Trek isn't necessarily our future anymore, but a possible future that we could look to emulate uh, rather than it being in our actual timeline. Yeah. Unless the Vulcans do show up on 5th of April 2063. Is it 2063? 2063, Yeah. Gosh, I can't remember my daughter's birthday, mate, Uh, but I can remember First Contact Day. (laughs) I think we'll know if the Vulcans come if in, you know, September of 2024, we get the Bell Riots. Right, okay, well. So we've got got that to quote-unquote look forward to. (laughs) That that might actually be uh, potentially happening as well. Um, Okay, so we've had your favorite moment there. Is is hit with more? Yeah, kind of learning more about about Smike, like pretty much all, all the stuff with him, because he kind of seemed like our our representation within the the augments themselves. Hmm. So there's three. So for number four, um, really just how resilient Doctor Lucas was in not giving up the codes. It, it it really 
took, you know, them threatening Flox's life, not even, you know, pushing anything to, to actually do it, but, you know, just getting him in that chamber that it, it took up and up until that point for her, for Dr. Lucas to give up the codes. And then just sort of how T'Pol was able to kind of, you know, pretty much do exactly what Archer would do in, in that situation there, they're on the bridge. Just yeah, kinda, she's know, t- taking it over. Particularly season three, leading to this one, just created a, uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Um, uh, there's certainly just like their leadership style became quite similar when he commanded the ship in the sense of, yeah. I think Archer took on board some stuff for her, but T'Pol learned how to uh, manage the ship the way Archer wants it managed in Archer's right. absence, which I think is not necessarily how she used to do things earlier on but yeah you definitely see that here okay well done well done for that uh, some of my favorite moments were uh, i love when archer is having food with uh, uda mm-hmm. uh, uda talks about getting put into prison on earth and archer's like i don't know what you've been told about us but you know you're not going to prison and things like that so uh, that was a really nice scene i thought uh, although the photos were dodgy the photos of his parents his yeah. real is like uh where it, well I guess they donated for it, but um, their jeans. But yeah, they were dodgy photos. I don't know why they had to make them look so bad. And <laughs> what else? Uh, I really, uh, really like the bit with the when the scientist is being infected with the disease. Because mm-hmm. I think that Brent Spiner does some fantastic acting in that scene where yeah. uh, he's desperate for Doctor Lucas to to give the information. He doesn't. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. You know, the, the whole episode is has soon just trying not to hurt anyone to get what he needs. I think he believes that him having this pretty much army of super-powered humans should be enough to make everyone give him what he wants. What he wants, and, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that doesn't happen. So I think that uh, that was a really good scene, uh, particularly when he realized that he lost the scientist, uh, as in mm-hmm. he died. And I would have loved to have seen a bit more, um, you know, a bit more done with that. Uh, but I think, if I remember right... Uh, it's touched upon in the next episode as well. Yeah. I, I could be wrong on that one though, but I haven't rewatched it yet. Before we go into uh, tune in into next that week recording. for that one, folks. <laughs> but yeah, those those are some. Yeah, tune in, tune in for that one. Um, so those are just some of mine. I mean, of those moments you gave, then Chris, is there one particular moment that tops the list for you though? Probably the Archer and Fox moment, with Fox being like, "Well, maybe our in- instincts caught up with our in- intellect." That scene was really good as well because it was one of our first times on Enterprise, maybe on, only time on Enterprise, where they were talking about like a dark part of Earth's history, you know, a, a black mark on our wonderful history we have now. I think Archer mentioned World War Three once upon a time yeah. uh, on the show. I can't remember when, but uh, I swear it came up. But this one, you can see it in Archer, there was like this almost ashamed of this particular moment in Earth history. Uh, Flox mentions 30 million dead. I think Archer says some historians put it closer to 35 million. Is that what it says? Yeah, so I think that's a, a really good scene, good choice uh, from you. I would go with the, the torture scene as my favourite one. Okay. The actual bit where the guy's being infected rather than the beating. Uh, and we'll talk about that later as well uh, as we get into the show. So first thing and the main thing to talk about, I think, with this episode is uh, Dr. Soong's relationship with the Augments because... It doesn't quite go how you may think it's going to go from the setup in the previous episode. Because almost right from the start, there's tension. So, Chris, given how long it 
took to get Soong back with the Augments uh, in the previous episode. That was his plan the whole time, really. Were you surprised how quickly they hinted at Malik's goals not really being aligned with Dr. Soong's? And, you know, did it harm the overall plot of the episode knowing that so quickly that they clearly were not going to be able to work it out? You could see it immediately. This is going to be a problem. For me... Not really, just because of how warped Malik had become after Soong had been imprisoned. And so I kind of figured, even even watching it the first time, I kind of figured that Malik was going to be like, okay, something's changed here. He's going to, you know, make it make it seem like something's changed. But really, this was how Soong was the whole time. That's kind of kind of how, how I felt. Yeah, we saw that established in the, the opening scene, I guess. Maybe that's one reason they showed us that flashback for that reason. I guess he sees something different with the Augments than anyone else. Uh, an archer kind of says it to him later in the episode when he's like, you know, what did you expect with the augments getting violent and, and all these things? You know, it's, it's, it's their nature. Were you surprised, though, that Malik was so honest about killing, was it Rakeen? Is that how you said it? Yeah, Rakeen. The delivery of the dialogue in that scene and such is so intimate and slow that I've seen this episode countless times. And I think I'm always surprised that Malik does actually say he killed Rakeen. I know he um, he's dishonest a bit about how that came about. And he's got the crocodile tears and things like that. But yeah, it was just a surprise because you think he's going to lie about it, no? He was, he was being a bit sketchy with it. But um, as far as being surprised that he was so honest, I think it was just a way for him to try to manipulate Soong to kind of see and, and also to kind of see where, where Soong was or yeah, where Soong was was and what he was thinking after returning from being a, gone a decade. Which kind of brings me on to my, my next question then, which was about the reaction from from Soong uh, to that news uh, when he found out that Malik had killed Rakin. You know, I, I get the pain that mm-hmm. Soong was feeling that moment because as far, you know, as far as he's concerned, one of his children uh, has been murdered. Uh, so I get the passion from that as well. But, you know, should a father be taking that kind of action against their child, even as a grown child? Upon hearing that news, even though Malik's an adult, he is always going to be learning from his father. I think that's always yeah. always true of all of us. We're always learning from parents. And, you know, given that these augments is it within their nature to be aggressive, was it sort of smart of Soong to grab Malik the way he did and shove him up against the wall and, and say that this is how we deal with things? You know, the guy in charge just gets violent and, and abuseful. Regardless of understanding Soong's passion, was that a mistake? I'm not sure. Kind of going back again to Malik manipulating here. I think he was just just trying to see if he could get Soong to to act aggressive, so that way he could justify his own action. Yeah, it's definitely a risk that I don't think Soong had calculated in putting in that move. Quite funny because I think it's kind of out of sync a little bit with how Soong behaves every other time throughout the episode. Could be it was an oversight on production or something, or maybe that's just the way they went with it. But yeah, I kind of just thought to myself. You know, I'm a father, you know, and I, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my eldest one's only five right now at the time of recording, but I'm aware they're always picking up on me. Like, I might swear in, for example, I'm fully aware now of it, and my kids hear everything I say, and uh, they know that they're naughty words, you know, and I still use yeah. them sometimes. I'm like, God, they pick up on behavior. And, and if I've got one of these augments who uh, genetically are almost programmed to instinctually only really recognize force and strength, I don't know if I'd be wanting to feed into that myself but you know that's on him Uh, so i did kind of on my notes you talked about manipulating soon throughout this episode we saw malik sort of showing his bloodlust so confidently saying that he did kill rakeen he had to take 
that credit for that and throughout it when he's saying why don't we interrogate this person this way and why don't we infect them with these diseases there's a bloodlust there was he just kind of like the devil on the shoulder of Soong or he's just there whispering in his ear almost trying to get him to do stuff was he manipulating Soong all throughout to get that blood on their hands I think so yeah so that way you know he could like when when Soong was saying you know if this this scientist dies it's not on my hands it's on your hands and you know just try trying to, to shift the blame I think that's another another thing that, that Malak was keeping in the back of his head saying, you know, okay, I owned up to killing Rakeen, but your actions here, father, are killing this man, even though you have put down the ultimatum. I think Malik's really, really smart throughout. I mean, I've been watching loads of crime shows recently, like Criminal Minds <laughs> and things, and, uh, and watching Captain Archer and NCIS New Orleans, and seeing more of these, like serial killers and any of these ones with like this bloodlust and you sort of see that in malik mm-hmm. it's almost like he gets a sexual release out of the violence you know and when you watch like yeah. criminal minds in particular which i've been blasting through they always talk about that with serial killers and that it is a sexual release and that they get from that and i, I feel that with malik so i actually forgot probably my favorite moment maybe of the whole show actually was uh one particular moment in that scene where they're affecting that scientist and that was I call it the holy shit moment in my mm-hmm. notes. Uh, when when Dr. Soong asked Malik to give the scientist the antidote for the disease, uh, only for Malik to say no. He was stunned that Soong would even suggest it. I mean, is that an oh shit moment for you? Kind of knowing how, how the augments are from, you know, basically Khan and his crew. Th- this to me was, was Malik more saying, you know what, you're not leading us anymore. I'm going to be the one that's going to lead us you're actually weak and don't even know why I ever called you father. That's sort of where you see his turn from a father-son dynamic to an enemy dynamic, in my mind. And there was a, a moment from that when, when the scientist died, actually, and you see all the augments, because they, they all look shocked that Malik said no, but then the scientist dies very quickly after. And you see this moment where they're all looking at him dead, and there's this look on all each of their faces where they're not particularly fussed that he's dead and you can even on one or two of them see a sense of pride yeah pride they're happy they're just looking at this dead body you can see it and they're happy they're happy he's dead i thought that was very good directing because i don't know if i've always picked up on that but i definitely did this time and yeah you could see it couldn't you the hints yes they go back to being all about father and helping himself after but there was this real moment where you could see that it's what the augments do it's their instincts so let's talk about one who wasn't quite an augment uh uda the big lie that he died when he was younger which is what uh, they told dr soong but he was obviously shocked when archer brought him to the station yeah this had red flags as well for worries that it's going to go wrong between soong and malik because oh boy what about malik's face when uda showed up i mean the disgust and i mean you could almost see couldn't you that malik was having to move his timetable up it was kind of mm-hmm. like oh no now i'm i'm gonna get outed now i'm gonna have to make a power play soon i mean did you like that relationship with uda and and soon like very much father more father's yeah. son wasn't it because uda was couldn't protect himself in the same way yeah like i was saying earlier you know uda is sort of like the avatar for us within there within that society and i always kind of connected with him like i was able to empathize with him and, and be be sort of you know right there with with him feeling kind of how he did so how do you feel this death then saddened but honestly not surprised knowing that malik was going to be taking over and running things it's funny there's so much going on in that death scene he covers it up saying that he wouldn't want his brother to die the grotesque death of all the diseases so he's gonna put him out of his misery quickly but he's not doing it for Uda. He's doing it for himself because A, he thinks that Uda has helped the enemy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And B, 
the main one is that he thinks Udar is weak and is a black stain on their legacy, you know, and uh, and you can see he's disgusted by him. I do feel sorry for Udar. You could see him, he goes to react when he realizes what's happening and you just get shot killed when you're already sat on the floor, not a threat to anyone. I just think it's such a coward's way out for Malik. Yeah. And the fact it was with a phaser or disruptor as well, not just with his hands, you know, the Malik is built with strength and... He didn't, he didn't even want to use that. He just used an energy weapon to kill him, you know? Like, it wasn't even worth Malik using any physical strength for it. Yeah, definitely different from when Malik killed Rakeen. Yeah, I mean, he literally had blood in his hands from that. Yeah. From sticking the knife in him. So let's talk about Dr. Lucas. We've heard Lucas mentioned as far back as season one. Dear Doctor, I think, was the first time uh, he was mentioned. And we've seen flocks in at least two episodes um, recording messages for Dr. Lucas his correspondent i mean are you happy that we met him now or i'm gonna put this to you should he be kept a mystery like imagine they'd had Morn actually talk on ds9 we used to hear about him talking all the time but he never did on screen was seeing him like if we'd suddenly seen Morn talking honestly i think if they were gonna do it and actually show him on screen this would probably be about the best time to do it just considering everything that went on and, and where they were heading to and everything so i'm i'm actually pretty glad we did actually get to see him now Morn talking, I think they did a good job not having him talk. Just because it was like every episode they were talking about how Morn was. Yeah, I'm just on my rewatch now and like the amount of times you hear them mentioning that Morn won't shut up most of the time, it's just funny. Okay, so the beating that Dr. Lucas took. Dr. Lucas is probably not in the best of physical conditions with regards to weight and such. An older man as well. So, you know, one would expect, and maybe this is what Dr. Soong thought as well, that, you know, Dr. Lucas wouldn't be able to withstand being interrogated for long. But, I mean, he took a beating, yeah? He was was getting punched left, right, and center. His eye was swelling really badly. Yeah. His face was cut up. He was not given anything, even when his colleague got killed in front of him. I mean, were you surprised that he held on that long? Honestly, yeah, a little bit, but then I kind of got to take myself out, look past the fourth wall and everything, and be like, well, he's got plot armor for this bit, so... Ah, you can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, on a side note I quite like now is that in Star Trek, the casts aren't completely protected anymore, Mm -hmm. so you can lose cast members when you're not expecting to, like on Discovery, and yeah, even if they're not main cast members, but they're on the show every week, you just, you're just you more likely to lose them now than you were back then, because you were never going to lose someone at a random point. Yeah, like with, with Arium, and, and I was actually kind of surprised that they got rid of Nan, too. Yeah, right after they put her in the credits. That old trick to <laughs> put them in the credits and make you think, ah, oh, they're sticking around, and bye-bye. Yeah, I was really surprised that Dr. Lucas held on. I think that maybe that's kind of the point with how he was and looked and aged because you want to be even more surprised. And I think that's why soon gets even more frustrated. He's like, why can't you just, why can't this just be easy? You know, why, why don't you just give me this information? But I'm going to say this, and you kind of hinted at it there with the plot armor to get to the next bit that we needed to be at, which was, you know, Lucas does eventually very quickly give up the code that Soong's after when uh, Phlox is put into the chamber where the diseases are. Nothing released, not even a disease name given yet in satisfaction from Malik. He just sees Flocks go in. He's like, nope, fine, I'll tell you. I'll give you the code. Now, given that he watched his colleague die a horrible death in front of everyone as well, was it a bit disrespectful to his colleague that Dr. Lucas so quickly gave the information up to help his buddy Flocks? I think Flocks and Lucas probably had a better relationship than him and his colleague. Should that matter? Well, I mean... You can have your work friends, but then, like, your friend friends. And I think Flox was more of a friend friend than a work friend. But also, there again, 
Lucas saw how far that they were going to go and knew that they were just going to wind up killing him anyways, and so he did it to protect Flux. In my head, the only way I can justify Dr. Lucas doing that is to say that he was so messed up from watching his colleague die that he couldn't bear to see it happen to anyone else. Yeah. But it does stick out for me a bit, you know, that his best buddy and suddenly he's willing to uh, start squealing like a pig, as they say, with information. So Archer versus Malik, this fight scene at the tail end of this episode, it starts from Archer managing to knock the door into, or his elbow, I think, into one of the uh, the augments, who takes a ridiculous amount of time to react, like to get back up on his feet properly after getting hit. Given that it took three face pistol blasts to take one down, this one dude gets hit in the face and he's bent over for like, feels like 30 seconds whilst Archer comes after him and and Archer takes him down pretty easily. But I guess, I mean, you talk about that fourth wall breaking, I guess that's just part of the plot. You've got to do it. I do want to bring up a point real quick. Had Burnham or Janeway sort of done the same thing, I'm sure people would have gone nuts just because... It was a woman, especially with Burnham being a woman of color. Yeah, I think Janeway very rarely found herself in fighting scenes and she in that manner. But yeah, yeah particularly Burnham. If Burnham had done it, it would have caused a shitstorm on the internet. But when Archer does it, it's cool, man. It's the captain. He's kicking ass. I love Archer, by the way. But as you are fully aware of the double standard amongst uh, some of our uh, fan base. That fight leads into Malik obviously making a save for his buddy. Beats the crap into Archer. Archer still tries to give back some back, though. You know, even when he knows he's on a losing end. I mean, what do you think of this fight scene, then? It was pretty decent. Archer did give a decent showing. Apparently, he must have written something down somewhere, and Kirk saw it, because saying, if you can find something hard to hit them with, go ahead and grab it. I thought it was a good scene, actually. My favorite part of it was when, I can't remember what the line was now, but Archer starts joking with him about the fact that he's getting his ass kicked, pretty much. It's quite funny. I thought this was a funny moment that broke up pretty distressing 20 minutes or so of the episode, really, with, you know, the torture and everything. But you know what it reminded me of, actually? You mentioned Kirk. You know, there's so many times in TOS where Kirk's fighting against some godlike being inside mm-hmm. a, a human or some kind of superpowered human. You know, you look at Gary Mitchell or Khan. And I'm sure there's more that I can't think of off the top of my head. Or when he's fighting the Gorn yeah. in Arena. It felt like that with Archer and Malik. This futile attempt to overpower this being who could probably just flick you in the forehead and knock you out. It did bring back real Kirk vibes for me, at least TOS vibes. And I don't know if that's because I'm watching TOS right now as well, but you're a big TOS fan. So do you ever see that in other treks? There's Kirk moments almost or TOS moments. I've noticed it more in Discovery with Burnham and even Giorgio having some Kirk moments with fighting. Like they're at the end of season two of Discovery fighting Leland in control. That was a brilliant fight scene, by the way. Oh, yeah. But like, I definitely notice it a lot more with Archer than any other character that we see get into fights. Well, we say it's more like Kirk. As we were reminded in the advertising, uh, Archer was Kirk's hero growing up. So actually, Kirk was just copying Archer. That's how I like to think of it. Okay, so the cliffhangers, this was the middle part. So, I mean, was the cliffhanger suspenseful enough for you? Yeah, because usually in our, our day and age of streaming, we can just go right to the next one. So they, they kind of actually set it up perfect to have it play out well both ways, whether you're waiting for it to come on the next day if you're watching it now on in syndication mm. or back when it first released. I'm pretty sure it was a decent cliffhanger to get you to want to come back next week to watch the next one. I was going to say, like, does it make you have to pop that next episode on right away when you watch it now? So you, as you said, you know, we can stream it now. You can watch it right away or watch it on DVD. Do you have to watch the next part? 
you usually do, and I think after we get done recording, I'm going to watch the next part, just because <laughs> when, when I watched it today, I didn't have time to get into the second one, or the third one, I should say. For me, it's an odd one, because I can't answer whether or not I think the cliffhanger worked and, and hooked me, because on the surface of things, I hate, or at least I don't hate them, I find them not very effective when, like, Archer simply is climbing up a ladder at the end of that episode, you know, heading towards having to stop some things. There's no dramatic event that's happened in that moment which the protagonists are reacting to. And those are the kind of typical cliffhangers where some big event happens to end the episode on. I didn't get that with this. But at the same time, it's so tense that you do just want to immediately have to watch the next episode. And if it makes you feel like that, then it obviously was a suspenseful cliffhanger. I guess I just don't like ones where something's in flow, like Archer just climbing a ladder. To me, it doesn't feel yeah, like, like midway. the episode should end there. Yeah, and it, and to be fair to this in the next episode, and I think we'll talk about this next week, but this one really was like one big episode cut in half. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. just thought, uh, where can we where can we cut the episodes up? Oh, we're stupid there. Archer's trying to stop the disease. And I like, it was new. I guess we could just call this a ladder hanger instead of a cliffhanger. Oh, dude. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> How long are you sitting on that then? Actually, it just kind of popped into my head. I'll believe you. I'll believe it's not written down on some paper somewhere. Okay, so final thoughts for you then on this episode, man. We've gone into it in quite some detail, really. I mean, is there anything else you want to cover with it? We've covered quite a bit here, but I definitely do enjoy this one. When they got to Enterprise, they really knew how to do the three-part arcs. After learning, you know, from what they did with DS9, I feel like they brought that over more than what they did anything with Voyager. And, you know, with the, all the mini arcs that DS9 had, especially with season four here, they were able to really get everything in and keep you wanting more. How was it as the middle part of a trilogy then? You talked about the three parts. You said at the start of the episode about how it did feel like it was the middle part. I mean, we know in film trilogies, for example, you know, like the ones which are designed as trilogies, we know they're a trilogy before the first one even comes out. The second film quite often can be seen as weaker because it's the middle one. It's not a conclusion to a story. On the Star Wars scale, I would say it's definitely not Attack of the Clones. I'd probably say it's not quite Empire Strikes Back either. I haven't watched all of the new trilogy yet, so it's between those. As far as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's it's definitely comparable with The Two Towers. Not, you know, really a strong film on its own, but definitely works great with the other two. I remember actually being a bit disappointed with The Two Towers when I saw them. I was a teenager, obviously, when these films started coming out. I loved The Fellowship of the Ring. Two Towers, a year later, I was a bit disappointed. And then I finally, a while later, got the extended edition. Yeah. And... I don't know how, because there wasn't a whole lot more put into that film, I don't think, but it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, this film's great. And it became my favorite of the first two then, just from the extended edition. So The extended editions is how I watched Lord of the Rings the first time. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Another one where the extended edition really makes it as well is Batman versus Superman. I love that film anyway in the cinema, but the extended edition is three hours long, I think. Incredible. It covers everything. Everything that you might have thought was a bit random or a bit... A plot hole, possibly, in the theatrical cut is linked up so beautifully in the three-hour version. You've got a flawless story from beginning to end. Okay, I enjoyed this episode. I think it worked perfectly as a middle episode in the story. In fact, you know, Enterprise, did, as you said, did a good job on these three-parters of making those middle parters do their own thing in a way and be a part of the greater whole but still contribute something and nailed it you never felt like oh why is this three-parter could have been done in two parts so i think this was a great first go at that three-parter style forgetting the you know the constant cliffhangers of the back half of season three of of the show but question for you then okay which episode did the better job of hooking you into the storyline that is unfolding part one borderland or this one, part two, Cold Station 12. 
actually, I'm going to do a bit of a cheat here. Borderland gets you into it. Cold Station 12 kind of keeps you there to kind of see how it's going to end. That's not an answer, man. (laughs) I'm going to be braver. I'm going to say that Cold Station 12 does get me more invested in the actual Augments story arc, whereas Borderland, which I think is possibly the better episode, I'm not sure. They're all so good. Yeah. But Borderland has the Orions and the the relaunch of the Enterprise and the new designs in the of the ship, you know, the colouring in the bridge and Brent Spiner back. There's just so much going on in Borderland that you're not really too focused on the augments because the only point of the whole episode is we've got to catch these augments. That's the story. And then there's all this other stuff going on. So in this episode, I became much more invested. I did feel that maybe it went into the... Dr. Soong stuff, him and Malik sort of clashing maybe a bit too quickly, but I guess they had a lot they needed to do. I can understand it. But yeah, I think I think Hold Station 12 really makes you have to watch part three. As we said earlier, you got to stick it on right away. How does this story end, you know? And um, yeah, so a good one. Part two, we do have part three coming up next week on the show. And then the week after that, we'll be doing Daedalus's Children. Yeah, Daedalus's Children, our next book review. Whether or not we run any adverts for it in the podcast depends on whether we can be asked to record and edit one together. So, yes, the next book review will be two weeks after the release of this episode. Uh, Yeah, so make sure you read that book, guys. I need to make sure I do as well. I'm a few chapters into it. I'm enjoying it thus far. And then following that, we've got a few episodes and we are going into season three soon. It's on the schedule. Season three is coming and we are going to devote over six months to it. We're going to tackle season three from, well, really from the end of season two. We're going to do The Expanse and then we're going straight through. This show will be exclusively about season three pretty much for the next 24 weeks after that. All Zindy all the time. You might notice that we're trying to get our book clubs in sync with the season three. So Last Full Measure is the book, I think, that takes place in season three. And all the other ones take place before. Rosetta does too, I think. Oh, does it? Oh, maybe we'll have to change the schedule slightly then. I'll have to check my, my list real quick. So we want to be able to read the books with the season they're in. So that's why we're having another book review so soon for Deedless's Children. Maybe we'll split up the season three breakdown with some character studies or side episodes in Trek that are relevant to the one that we're watching there. There's an, an obvious one, as you messaged me about today or yesterday, Chris, with uh, Similitude and Tuvix. Yeah, we'll be doing that for at least six months. So there you have it. We do get asked about when we're going to get to season three, you know, when we're going to do it. It's coming up soon. We'll be in it before the summer, I think. I haven't got the dates in front of me. But once we catch up with the books, then yes, we're going straight into it. So looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to getting to season three, Chris? Oh, definitely. We got a lot to get through in that, but a lot of good stuff there. Oh, loads. It's the only way to do season three, I think, because you can't dip in and out of season three. Yeah. You can't go and, oh, let's talk about the council this week. And then in six weeks, we're going to talk about the forgotten. It doesn't work. The whole season is serialized. So to do it this way is the best way for us, I think. Yeah, I'm really excited to do it. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. We will be back in seven days if you've listened to this on release day. And please, again, don't forget to leave us a rating slash review on your podcast app of choice. Thank you very much. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. 
To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek preview podcast. You, have you ever heard of the Spock? No, but I'm just you're doing the hand movements, so I know exactly what it so, is. So I used to work for a guy, brilliant guy, good, good mate, who used to joke about Spocking people. Where is this going? I know it's like if you didn't, if you didn't bust your ass in work, he was going to Spock you. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. I mean, nowadays you couldn't really say that stuff, no. and you can only assume if you put yourself in the if you do the live long and prosper uh, gesture, you imagine look at the hand, and if it's used in a sexual context of how one might be spocking someone, so you might be entering two different places, so to speak. I think you should edit this out. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Ladies Trek Library, a podcast by women with a passion for Star Trek books. The author of this book, Dana Kramer Rolls, this is the only Star Trek book she's ever written, which would explain why I've never okay. read anything from her before. Yeah, I, think I heard that she did write some other sci-fi books, but no other Star Trek. Yeah. And she does seem like, like she's a fan. It seems, from the way she handled the characters, I, I would say she is a fan of Star Trek. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling that she was a fan. Um, and knew the characters. She has a PhD in folklore and history of religions. Cool. So that makes sense. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Starbase 1, the Star Trek Online podcast. I don't really think that's a good idea. I order you to do it right now. Warning. The structural integrity field has collapsed. This is Admiral Quinn. You will be assigned to Starbase 1. Welcome to Starbase 1. I'm Colin. I'm Admiral Aaron. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Tom. Starbase 1 is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.